Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Join me tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to continue with this that we've been looking at on Wednesday evenings entitled Sound Doctrine. And, uh, you know, the Lord really just dealt with me uh, some time ago just to settle in on this and just keep teaching it. Uh, Because, uh, you know, I've had people uh, ask and make statements, you know, why why do we see some of the things we see in in, uh, the church and and, uh, uh, in ministers in general, uh, bad doctrine. It's, it's just that simple. And uh, a lack of sound doctrine in the pulpit will produce error from the pulpit. And we've said that every, every uh, message that we've ministered in this series. Uh, but that's what we've got to keep in our mind. If there's not sound doctrine from the pulpit, then there will be error. The doctrine has to be sound. The reason why a lot of people don't understand doctrine is the reason a lot of people don't understand faith. I've said for years that I've got a series out there called Faith Wears Coveralls. And I've said for years, faith is the work truck of the kingdom. Faith isn't sexy. Faith doesn't have the lines of a Lamborghini. It, it, it doesn't have the, the, the look of a Ferrari. It's a work truck. If you need heavy lifting done, faith will get it done. Amen. Doctrine's the same way. Doctrine is not always something that makes people shout. It's not something that uh, people go, boy, I just want to go to church and hear a good series on doctrine. But yet, if my doctrine is unsound, I'm going to be unsound. I'm going to get into error. All right, I'm going to get into error. And that, that governs every area of our life. 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 16. Now, we're not going to read uh, all of those verses because these have been our foundational verses. Uh, I'll kind of uh, skip through them here real quickly just to set the stage. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, Paul is talking here to Timothy. Let's go down to verse 16. He says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And then he says, For doctrine and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So one translation says, The word is profitable for teaching the faith and correcting error. Another says, Teaching the truth and refuting error. So Paul states that all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is God-breathed. All right? All Scripture is breathed from God. And all Scripture is profitable. Now notice this over and over again. Notice what he's saying. All Scripture is inspired by God. 
Hallelujah. Good doctrine corrects error. Good doctrine protects against error. If I have good doctrine, I'm going to be protected from error. So the best thing a pastor can do is teach and preach sound doctrine. Because that, that protects people from error. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 6, but shun profane and vain babblings. For what will they do? They will increase unto more ungodliness. Is that what it says? They will increase unto more ungodliness. Profane and vain babblings. The Amplified Bible says that we should correctly analyze and accurately divide, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So for our doctrine to be sound, we have to accurately divide, accurately and skillfully teach the word of God. We've we've said over and over again, rightly dividing in this verse, it carries the idea of cutting straight the word. All right? Cut straight the word. It, it carries the concept of a farmer plowing his field and making sure the rows are straight. Hallelujah. When, when a minister's ministering the word, they have to be certain that they're plowing correctly. Not just saying something because that sounds good. Or not just saying it because so-and-so said it. I had a person tell me one time, they were, they were in my office uh, wanting to dispute with me about something. And, and just so you'll know, I'm your pastor, so you'll know my mindset. If you want to dispute the word, we're not going to talk because there's no disputing the word. Well, you need to defend what you taught. <laughs> what? It's, it's from the word. Just put the scriptures together. I know me. You're not just going to get one scripture. And then an opinion. You're going to get at least three or four with no opinion. This is my opinion. Hallelujah. But anyway, he, he brought this up and, and he said, well, you know, so-and-so disagrees with you. And it was a, a minister of renown. And he thought that was going to make me change my position. I said, well, I love that brother, but he's not gospel. This is the gospel. How many know there are people that believe it's not God's will to heal every time? But yet the Bible says that what we refer back to is what's on record. And what's on record is Isaiah 53 and 5. With his stripes, you are healed. If you you haven't been able to join us, you ought to go back and look at the last seven weeks of healing school. Eight weeks of healing school. We've been teaching on trusting in healing redemption. But the point is, people can say it's not God's will, but Scripture says something different. So to say something that's, that's contrary to Scripture is not good doctrine. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There are things that we have to hold fast to that were already delivered to the church. 
Don't look forward without holding on to what's already been established. That's, that's what the Scripture says. The, 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 the Scripture talks about not entering into the fields of the fatherless, not moving the ancient landmarks that were placed. I've, I've got to stay with what's been proven. Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. We are, are going to look at some things tonight concerning the Word. And when I say concerning the Word, I mean there's, a, there's so much that floats around where people are trying to bring outside sources to somehow validate the Word. Extra biblical books. Uh, all these different things. Revelations. You know, if, if your revelation doesn't line up with the Word or is not Word-based, it's not a revelation. It's a bad dream. Because it'll, it'll cause harm. Well, this is, this is what I believe. Listen, d- listen, that's bad doctrine. And I'll tell you why it's bad doctrine. Somebody will read a scripture and they'll go, well, you know, I know what that says, but here's what I believe. Bad doctrine. Bad doctrine. Because, because one of the first laws of biblical interpretation is you interpret the scriptures literally wherever possible. That's why you'll hear people say, you know, Jesus said you'd receive a hundredfold. We talked about it over the offering. And I've heard ministers that I respect say, now, well, Jesus didn't mean. Jesus meant just what he said. Got to take it literally. Because it's, it's possible to take that literally. Amen. The word is enough. What God wanted us to know about his character and about his desires and about his personality, he placed in the book. If I never read another book except this for the rest of my life, I would know all I needed to know about God. Don't let anyone interpret for you how God is. Get in the Word and find out how God is. Start with 1 John, where it says God is love and work from there. Right? That's so important. Because you'll hear people that base their their determination of God based on their circumstance. Amen. Amen. And then they start looking for something to validate their circumstance. And they can't find it in the Word, so they go get an extra-biblical source. They get somebody's book. They get somebody's experience. They find an old message that somebody taught. Listen, if it's contrary to what the Word says, it's not good doctrine. I don't care who taught it. Amen. Matthew chapter 4. And let's start in verse 4, and we'll skip to verse 7, then verse 10. This is, of course, uh, when Jesus was being tempted by the enemy. And, you know, the enemy had came to him. And so, uh, Matthew chapter 4, let's start in uh, verse 4. I'm getting there. Hallelujah. Matthew 4, verse 4. 
This is where Satan had said, command these stones to be made to bread. Look what Jesus said. He answered and said, notice, it is written. It is written. And remember that Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy in every one of these verses. To, to, to Jesus, the canon of Scripture was closed. What had been written in the first five books was it. Now, the prophets as well, but you understand what I'm saying? There was no reason in Jesus' mind to add anything to the Scripture. Why didn't Jesus say, I'm the Son of God? You know I'm the Son of God. The Word's enough. Right? It's written. Now, verse 7. Jesus said unto him, it is written. Verse 10. Then Jesus said, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. It is written. Jesus answered the devil three times with what was written. What was already on record. It's what the original Greek, the Woos translation says. It is written and it is presently on record. Amen? We don't need, ministers have to teach what is referenced in Scripture, not opinions. You preach what's referenced in Scripture. What causes people to grow is the Word, not my opinion. I may use my experience of how the Word worked to help someone, but it's what's written in the Word. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect, sinless, spotless Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, when encountering an attack from the enemy, he said, whoa, 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 it is written. It is written. If Jesus used it is written, I can use it is written, and I'll get the same results. So people have to be taught to depend on the truthfulness of the Word of God. You have to, be, you have to depend on the fact that John 17, 17 says this is truth. Sanctify them through your truth, your, your Word. Your Word is truth. People have to be taught to depend upon the truthfulness of God's Word. Amen. Jesus said the Word was truth. I don't need any other books to confirm the validity of the word. This is truth alone. Say out loud, the word is truth. See, the word is truth. All other books are questionable. The word is truth. I heard somebody preaching one time and they said, well, you know, if you read a person's book and, you know, they say some good things, well, you know, that was uh, divinely inspired. No. No human person's book is on the level of this book. Because this one is God-breathed. This one is without error. Do, do you see that? And, and that's, that's, that's what causes the Word to work for you, is you understand there's no contradictions in the book. 
there's no error in the book. The Holy Spirit wrote the book so there would be no error. The Holy Spirit did not forget what he wrote in one book and contradict himself in the next book. The Scripture tells you and I that it can be, it can be proven line upon line and precept upon precept. Jesus said over and over again to the religious leaders of his day, you need to go back and read this verse and this verse and this verse and this verse and it will prove what I'm saying. All you have to do is keep the Word of God front and center. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read it earlier. But Paul said, notice, he said to Timothy, He said, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, right? And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction uh, in righteousness, for for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So all Scripture is God-breathed. Other books are not inspired. We have what we call the canon of Scripture. For it to be called the canon of Scripture, it had to meet certain criteria. For the, for the New Testament canon, they went through and, and they, they chose the books that were authored by the apostles, by people that had walked with Jesus by what they believed was inspired, the the early church fathers. They they chose it because of the inspirational quality of it. I may read a minister's book and see revelation they received from the Word, but their book is not inspired. This is inspired. It's not that it's not a good book. I, I write books. But they're about revelation that God gave me from His book. Amen. Be cautious with statements like, well, you know, tradition says. Tradition says. I've I've heard ministers say, well, you know, this is what happened. You know that's what had to happen. If the Bible doesn't implicitly state it, no, I don't. I don't know it. It might make sense that it happened that way. But if it doesn't say, okay, here you go. Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And a light came out of heaven. Knocked him off his horse. I've been looking for that horse in Acts chapter 9 for 25 years. And there is no horse in Acts chapter 9. Well, you know he was riding a horse. No, I don't. No, I don't. Because the Bible doesn't say it. It doesn't say anybody was riding a horse. Now, why is that important? If that preacher's putting a horse in Acts chapter 9, what else is he putting in the Bible that isn't there? What's he taking away from the Bible that's not there? That's that's in there. If you'll put something in it, you'll take something out of it. Is that right? That you, you remember that little, that little woman with the issue of blood? How she crawled through the crowd. She got kicked. She got knocked down. She was walked on. And with her last frail grasp, she reached for Jesus and barely touched the hem of his garment. The Bible says no such thing. It says no such thing. It says she made her way through the crowd and touched his garment. 
Well, pastor, you know she got knocked. No, I don't. No, I do not. That's what keeps the word as, as the source of absolute truth to me. If it doesn't say it, is that right? That's good doctrine. Well, but, you know, pastor, no, 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 no. Don't let the theatrics of a minister convince you to embellish the word. This needs no embellishment. It, it is life-changing in the form it is. It was written so simple, the Bible says, so that you cannot err in it. Jesus taught on an eighth grade level. Because he wanted people to get it. If anybody could have went deep, it was Jesus. I mean, he got wading pool deep and blew people's mind. What did they say? But what did he always do? You do err not knowing the scriptures. What does the scripture say? When, when the Greeks and the Jews were arguing between each other in Romans, Paul said three times, what's the scripture say? What does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? That has to be what I always go back to. What does the scripture say? Because listen, to tamper with the scripture is to tamper with the truth. And I got to keep that in my mind. No, notice in Mark chapter 7. Mm, am I helping you? And, and you'll hear that a lot. Well, you know, tradition. Oral tradition says. Jewish tradition says. The Talmud says. Church tradition says. History records it. What's that? Amen. The, uh, the, uh, the, th this, this book says this. What's the word say? Do you, do you know something? Do you know the Bible tells us everything that the Holy Spirit wanted us to know about Melchizedek? Everything. Paul wrote in the book of Hebrews. Well, I say Paul. I don't know that. See, that's another thing. I don't know that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I can't tell you he did because the Bible doesn't say it. I, I say this. I believe he may have done it. Others believe different. That's fine. The writer of Hebrews said there's more to say about Melchizedek, but you can't handle it. Is that what he said? He said, I, I can't tell you right now. Well, when are we going to know more? When we get to heaven. Isn't that going to be great? You'll meet Melchizedek. Well, who's he going to be? Melchizedek. That's who he's going to be. He wasn't somebody else, and they called him Melchizedek. The Bible says that his name was Melchizedek. Or as Rod Parsley says, Melchizedek. <laughs> but either way. That's who he was. Hallelujah. Now, you might believe something else, but you don't have Scripture for it. And if you don't have Scripture for it, you, if you're a minister, you can't preach it. And it's not, primary, it's not mainly pastors that, that teach things like that. Because we got to come back next Sunday. 
<laughs> ah. Mark chapter 7, verse 2. Am I helping you tonight? And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, unwashing hands. Oh, ooh, my goodness. Is there anyone in here that's ever eaten without washing your hands? Some of y'all are lying. Everybody could have raised their hand if it wasn't when you were two. Yeah, huh? Notice, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands often, don't eat. Holding, watch, the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not. Many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of the tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, why walk not your disciples, here it is again, according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands. Now watch. He answered and said unto them, watch, well did Isaiah say, prophesy of you hypocrites. What, now watch, I'm going to get more into this. Where did, they're talking tradition. Where did Jesus take them back to? Scripture. They're talking tradition. It's a good idea to wash your hands. Right? But God never said not washing your hands was wrong. They're, they're making a big deal out of Jesus' disciples not washing their hands because it's a tradition of the elders. And Jesus said, Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So you say you're washing your hands to honor me, but your heart's far from me. Do you see this? Howbeit in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Do you see that? For ha laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. So what, what, what's the idea there? To hold on to the traditions of men, you got to lay aside the Word of God. you got to put it to the side. For, for instance, the, the tradition that a lot of churches hold, that women can't preach or women can't pastor, where's that at in the Word? It's not there. I've had people say, well, you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't sit under a woman pastor. Well, that's foolish. That's foolish. I, I should get a few more amens out of that. Because Paul's the one that was, was Paul's writings inspired? He said there is not male or female. When my wife or any other woman minister is standing in this pulpit it's not a woman in the pulpit it's a minister of the gospel in the pulpit God doesn't see their gender there's only two genders but God doesn't see their gender he sees what they're called to do God doesn't see a black man in this pulpit or a white man or an Asian man or a Hispanic man God sees a minister of the gospel see that's bad doctrine but that's their tradition 
Now, they'll let them teach in the Sunday school room, right? They'll, they'll let them teach a women's Bible study. You know, women can teach women. They just can't teach men. Well, that's real prideful. That's kind of arrogant. Amen. Well, I'm going to move on from that. As the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. You reject God's commandment so you can keep your tradition. Hallelujah. Verse 13. You make the word of God of no effect through your tradition. So the disciples were accused of not holding to the tradition of the elders. And Jesus took the Pharisees back to the word. And then he said that they were causing the word to be of no effect because of their tradition. Regardless of what tradition says, we can only preach and teach what's clearly written in Scripture. Amen. The, the church I grew up in, the ministers could only preach, could only wear white shirts. White shirts, black ties, and dark suits. Couldn't wear, have a beard. Couldn't wear cowboy boots. The women had to wear white when they came to church. Couldn't wear any makeup. Had to have a beehive hairdo. You, you ready for this? I'm about really, really to gross you out. The women could not shave their legs. That's the God's honest truth. Well, why? Well, we've got to keep you humble. How many know that'll do it? Those dear women wore, wore nylons, and it looked like big old pig hairs underneath them nylons. I'm saying, my Lord, I was just a kid. Woo. I'd be like sleeping next to your uncle. That's just, that's bad. <laughs> well, that, that was their tradition. That was their tradition. Somehow that's going to make you, you know, you had to wear white because, because we represent the bride of Christ. And, and that's another teaching in the doctrine that's erroneous, in the Bible that's erroneous. But here's the, here's the point. Here's the point that I'm making. It was their tradition. You know, I don't remember anybody in that church ever getting healed. I don't remember anybody ever getting delivered. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not my, my dad eventually moved us away from that, right? I'm, I'm thankful for my Pentecostal heritage. But here's the thing. They couldn't get healed because they thought sickness was God's will. It's what God would teach you with. My dad was experiencing some symptoms in his body, and he went to the head of that church, the head of that organization, and said, uh, you know, I need you to agree, believe with me. You know, I'm having these symptoms, these, these heart symptoms. And they looked at him and said, brother, that's the cold breath of God trying to teach you something. Not, I'm not, talk, not talking about something that I heard. I'm talking about something I lived. I had a lady look at me one time and say, if God has to wrap you around a telephone pole to get your attention, he'd rather you serve him paralyzed. 
than to have, your, have a good life and do whatever you want. See, that's tradition. That's not Scripture. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, if you don't want to wear makeup or shave your legs, that's your business. But there's nothing holy about it. Matter of fact, it borders on unholy. (laughs) But regardless of what tradition says, we can only preach and teach what's clearly written in Scripture. Here's a few things. We have no biblical record that the centurion in Matthew chapter 8 was the centurion at the cross or that he was Cornelius. No record. The Bible doesn't say it. Yeah, but I heard so-and-so say it. I don't care. The Bible doesn't say it. It's not good doctrine. Well, you know, it had to be. No, I don't because the Bible doesn't say it. Tell your neighbor, the Bible doesn't say that. Mm. Hallelujah. Even if tradition said it, I can't preach it because the Bible doesn't say it. We have no biblical record that the young man that Jesus told to sell what he had and give to the poor was Barnabas. No record. Well, it adds up. There's no record. We don't know who he was. The last thing we see about that young man is he went away grieved. And Jesus said, how hard is it for those that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? I don't know if he came back and repented or not. The Bible doesn't tell me. I hope so. We have no record that he was supposed to replace Saul or supposed to replace Judas. But you'll hear preachers say, that was Judas' replacement. Says who? Who says that? Where does the Bible say that? Well, pastor, that's not sin. That's irrelevant. Where does the Bible say it? Yeah, but he told him to come take up the cross and follow him. He told the 12 that, and he told 70 that. He told everybody that came after him that. He was telling that man, listen, if you want to be a disciple, you got to just, just do this. Go sell what you have. Come take up the cross and follow me. you got to enter into my way of doing things. Hallelujah. People will say, well, you know, the, the disciples got in trouble in the upper room because they voted. They didn't vote. They didn't vote in the upper room. They cast sacred lots. They prayed over that decision. They said, Lord, you show us which of these two you've chosen. Y'all look at me like a dog at a new dish. Let's go over there. I've heard people say they weren't supposed to be voting. They weren't voting. Acts chapter 2. And, and it gives the, the uh, qualifications. They have to have accompanied with them during the Lord's ministry. They had to walk with Jesus. And notice verse, 20 and, uh, verse 25. And they appointed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, that know the hearts of all men, show whether of these two you've chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. 
and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. What did they, what, they do? They prayed. Chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 26. They prayed. I've heard people say, well, you don't see any more of Matthias after that. That proves that he wasn't the one. Okay, where do you see Thaddeus? Or Simon the Zealot? Or Bartholomew? See, your doctrine's got to match up on every point. If you're going to say Matthias wasn't the choice of the Holy Spirit because you never see him again, then you're going to say that Jesus missed it after praying all night and chose those other men that you never see mentioned in the Word again. Now, people say, why is this important? Because if you believe certain of these things, you will begin to question the truthfulness of the Word. And Jesus Jesus said in the book of Revelation, you don't add to it, And you don't take away from it. Now, I have friends of mine that teach things like this. I'm not against anybody. But you're my church. You're you're my church. Does that make sense? Mm. We have no biblical record. Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I can believe that he did. But I can't preach he did because we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Well, so-and-so said the Lord told him that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Okay, if the Lord told him, that's great. The Lord didn't tell me. I hope he's right. I have got a lot of respect for him. But here's, here's the thing. The Lord didn't tell me. And if the Lord did tell me, can I preach it? I heard a minister say one time that the reason Peter's nets begin to break was because he used a rotten net. And said the Lord told him that. Well, if he did, I can't preach it. What the emphasis there is on the catch of fish, not the net. And the original Greek says Peter let down the nets. Plural. See, if you're going to study everything else out, you've got to study everything out. Am I helping you? Woo! Oral tradition, Jewish tradition, church tradition are not the word. You'll hear people say, well, you know, now what I'm preaching is highly allegorical. What they're saying is, is I can't really give you a concrete scripture, but I seem to see an allegory of it in scripture. Now, I preach on types and shadows. I taught here for a number of weeks on types and shadows. Types in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. But you can't base doctrine on allegories. Think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. In the, 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 the story of the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. Right? We have five wise and five foolish. And you have a group of people 
people will say, well, you know, those, those five wise, they were the ones that were ready for the rapture. The five foolish weren't ready for the rapture, right? Five wise virgins, five foolish virgins. They don't take the time to study this out. It says that the bridegroom came and the cry came, behold, the bridegroom comes. And it says when they came, those that were ready went into the marriage supper with the bride, the bridegroom, and the bride. Right? And they'll say, see there, the church is the bride of Christ because they're described as a chaste virgin. The problem with that is the word virgin in the book of, of Mark where that's, where that's taught is the same word for the word virgin that describes the 144,000 Jewish men that preached the gospel during the tribulation. See, when you start saying the church is the bride of Christ, you've got to prove it with Scripture. Well, the Bible said for husbands to love their wife as Christ loved the church. Exactly. You need to love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. He never said that the church was the bride of Christ. He said you need to look at how Christ loved the church and love your wife that way. And you do whatever you want to. You look this up. I'm not going to do all your studying for you. In the book of Revelation, the angel came to John and said, would you like to see the bride of Christ? And he said, yes, I would. And it says it took him and showed him the new city, the new Jerusalem. If the, if the bride of Christ, if the bride of Christ is the church, why did John see something else? See, that's tradition. I, I, I know I kicked over a couple of sacred cows. That, that's tradition. Bless God, we're, we're the bride of Christ. But the Bible in, in the book of, of 1 Thessalonians, we studied this already, where he said, now he that letteth will let until he's taken out of the way. The church in that verse is referred to as a he. Jesus is a he. He can't be married to a he. Why is that important? Because it's, it's got to be good doctrine. I remember my pastor talking about how he taught that and took a lot of fire for it. Because people just, I want to be a, a, a bride adorned for my bridegroom. And you got men going, ooh, that's kind of, ooh. Let me move away from that. I heard one minister say that tradition says that Enoch taught the gospel through the Zodiac. And it was called the Star Gospel. I heard a minister preaching not too long ago, and he was using the book of Enoch and talking about how the book of Enoch lines up with the Word. Well, here's the problem. The Bible tells us who Enoch was. The Bible tells us who Enoch's father was. The Bible tells us who his son was. The Bible tells us how long he lived. Tells us that he was not because God took him. Tells us that he pleased God and that he prophesied. That's all it tells us. You can find that in Genesis 5, Hebrews 11, Jude 1. Jude 1, 14 and 15. Notice this. Am I helping you tonight? Jude 1, verse 14. 
And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they've ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So some will say Jude knew this because he read the book of Enoch. The problem is we don't know that because that's not what's written. The word lets us know that Enoch prophesied, lets us know what he prophesied. That's all we need to know because that's all the word lets us know. When you start bringing in extra biblical text, where do you stop? The Mormons say the Book of Mormon is just another testament of Jesus Christ. If you've ever had a Jehovah Witness knock on your door, they'll tell you that what they have is just another testament of Jesus Christ. No, it's not. It's false doctrine. It's damnable heresy. Mormonism teaches that Jesus and Satan are half-brothers. Jehovah Witness teach that Jesus was not crucified on a cross. The Bible says it was a cross. Now, we think about that and we think, well, that's, that's blatant false doctrine. You can't be drawn in to something that seemingly agrees with Scripture. There are over 19 reasons why the book of Enoch cannot be considered valid text. Well, he quoted Enoch. He said that Enoch prophesied. We have no record that Enoch wrote a book. The Bible doesn't tell us that. So, see, it goes, it goes along with it then when somebody says, well, that's got to be right because the Talmud says. The Talmud is Hebrew oral history, not inspired scripture. Well, the Jews kept good records. I understand that, but their records aren't inspired. The Scripture is. Hallelujah. The Word lets us know that He prophesied and lets us know what He prophesied. That's all we need to know because that's what the Word lets us know. You'll always get in trouble when you start placing extra biblical books on the same level as the Word. Or when you start using them to add validity to the Word. You know, if you've ever read the works of Josephus, Josephus is a volume about that thick. He, he devotes an entire section to this man called Jesus. And he says, there was a man called Jesus. He said, if he can rightly be called a man, because of the miracles he did. He said, he was put to death by Pilate. And here's what he says. History records it, but he rose from the dead. Well, I don't need Josephus 
to convince me of that. Scripture says that. There's other places Josephus disagrees with Scripture. So Josephus can't be believed in that count because he disagrees with Scripture. Amen? You don't need anything else to add validity to the word. One of the fundamental rules of biblical interpretation is this, that you take the Bible literally wherever possible. Another fundamental rule of biblical interpretation is this. Scripture will interpret Scripture. There's a reason it's so simple. There's a reason it agrees. It will interpret Scripture. For instance, when you read Isaiah 53, there's no reference that that's Jesus. It calls him the suffering servant. Is that right? You've got to then go to Matthew chapter 8, where it says Jesus was the suffering servant. Then you've got to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter implicitly says that Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Wasn't that what the eunuch in the chariot in the desert was reading? And he was reading about what happened to Jesus. And Philip drew himself near to that chariot and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? Except someone explained it to me. And it says he got up there and preached Christ to him. Because that's who he was talking about. Well, Acts hadn't been written yet. Hebrews hadn't been written yet. How did Philip explain to that man who the scripture was talking about. He used the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Scripture also must be taken in its proper context. Don't ever violate that rule. What, what, what you see has to agree with the scriptures around it, and the scriptures around it have to agree. Notice in Isaiah 59, I'm almost done. Am I helping you? I want you to feel safe. Believers that come to churches have a, a, a spiritual right to expect that what they're hearing is truth. And well studied out truth. Not just what is regurgitated from somebody else's CD. But spiritual truth. Amen. Hallelujah. Isaiah 59 and verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the the west and His glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now, over the years, I've heard people say, you should move the comma in this verse so that it reads, when the enemy shall come in, comma, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. The question is, if we move the comma, where do we stop? What other punctuation do we move? 
the people that say that, do they even know the context of what's being said? The context of what's being said is in the last days when all the nations come against Israel and the enemy comes in like a flood with the wicked nations, God will raise up a standard against them and rescue his people. Now there's a place to apply that to us. When the enemy comes against you, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. But people will say, well, the enemy's not a flood. It doesn't say he's a flood. It says he comes like a flood. Well, how does a flood happen? Quickly, with no warning. It tries to overwhelm you. He's giving us an idea of the, of the tactics and the mindset of the enemy. He's got to try to take you out with one fell swoop because he's not designed to, la- to last with you. If you can survive that initial onslaught, you got him. You got him because he can't hang with you. He's got to try to intimidate you and wipe you out all at once. Here's the thing. How many other verses are we going to say don't mean what they say and we need to move the punctuation in order for them to be correct? How many italicized words are we going to take out of the Bible? I know they were added there at the discretion of the translators. I understand that for clarity. But how many words are you going to take out? Well, that don't mean that. Take that word out and it means something else. What are we doing? You preach the Scripture as is. Amen? You preach it as is. This causes people to question the validity of the word. If that doesn't mean what it says, what else doesn't mean what it says? If this doesn't mean the enemy will come in like a flood, how do I know it means by his stripes I am healed? If it doesn't mean the enemy will come in like a flood, how do I know it means my God will supply all my need? Good doctrine. I say good doctrine. There are times the enemy comes in like a flood and the Lord never fails to raise up a standard against him. Never fails to do it. You you cannot... Lord, help me. i got to finish. You cannot. When, for instance, when we preach we have victory over the devil, the Bible never minimizes the devil. It emphasizes our authority. The Bible tells us very plainly, if you let the enemy, he'll steal, kill, and destroy He said, if you let the enemy, he will devour you. He's seeking whom he may devour. He emphasizes our authority. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfastly in the faith. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Is that right? Take the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Amen. 
He that is born of God sinneth not, and the wicked one cannot touch him. Is that right? That, that's the emphasis that's put on the word. But it never, notice, it never says the enemy's not going to fire a, a, a dart at you. It never says that he's not going to try to devour you or that he's not going to try to overcome you. It says all you got to do is resist him. All you got to do is answer him in faith. It doesn't make our standing more powerful when we change the punctuation to try to minimize the devil. If you got to minimize the devil, you're not sure of your authority. Because our authority works every time regardless of what the enemy tries you've got to put more confidence in what the scripture says plainly than in someone's opinion hallelujah i'll close with this you know there are people that teach the court of heaven that there's a courtroom in heaven and that the enemy is there as the prosecuting attorney. And that you've got to enter that courtroom. And you, you, right? And there's different things you've got to do. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says the enemy's been cast down. Amen. That the heavenly utensils of worship were cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in that place, you know, where we're going to live, where God is now, where we're going to live, it says that no wicked thing can enter there. Well, would you think the devil qualifies as wicked? So how can he be standing by the throne of God? Prosecuting you. Well, the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. Who's he accused the brethren to? The brethren. He accuses you to you. And if you're questioning the validity of the word, you have nothing to answer his accusations with. If, if it doesn't mean the enemy will come in like a flood, it may not mean that you're the righteousness of God. Where do you stop? Well, I know I'm the righteousness of God. Not if you don't believe that the enemy will come in like a flood. The Bible is a composite whole. You don't choose what you believe. You believe all of it or none of it. You take it all as real or none of it as real. If I tamper with part of it, I got to tamper with all of it. If part of it's not right, none of it's right. It's just the reality of it. So I'll close with this. Stay with what's plainly stated in Scripture and you'll stay safe. Hallelujah. Now, if I said something tonight that you've heard other people say, I'm not against anybody. But this is my church. And we're going to be safe. We're going to be safe. Hallelujah. That, that's the reason why there are people that don't believe in the rapture of the church. That's why there are people that believe we're going to go through the tribulation. And they're buying all kind of end time survival supplies. Buying land in the desert, portable toilets. Toilet shovels to dig a hole. 
because they're expecting to be here when everything falls apart. Well, what if things get bad? I'm telling you what. I'm expecting a brightness. I'm expecting a brightness to come on our nation. And I, and I believe I have the validity of the Word of God. He said when the darkness covers the earth and gross darkness, there will be a rising and a shining because the glory of God is going to manifest itself. For the glory to be so recognizable, the darkness will be dark. But we're light. We're not darkness. We're not of the darkness. We're not of the world. We're of the kingdom. We're of the light. Everything that happens to the world is not going to affect me. It's not going to affect you because our source is from a different kingdom. And that's what you've got to keep in your mind. But if, if you question the word you won't stand for that. Mm, hallelujah. Let's stand up tonight, shall we? I hope you receive something out of that. An hour and ten minutes of power.